Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Spark. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across the UK. This first story was told by Alfie. At the Hackney Picture House. When the theme was Centre of Attention. I'm going to guess most people in this room have heard of a lady called Madonna. Have you heard of the city of Hull? Because this is where these two forces collide. Madonna, you might but well be aware, has been a, a fashion and a pop icon for about three decades. The city of Hull is the place that I come from. It was the biggest whaling port in the world 150 years ago. Yet these days, it has been voted the crappiest town in the United Kingdom two years out of the last five. This is where this collides. In 1987, Madonna was about the biggest pop star in the world. She was touring the Who's That Girl tour alongside a terrible film of the same name. And I, at the age of 13, got to go to that concert, but not with adult company. Amazingly, my rather lax mother allowed myself and my friend Ian Grundy to travel all the way from Hull to the grand city of Leeds, round Hay Park, totally unaccompanied, to see Madonna in concert. Now, of course, in 1987, there is no internet, there is no mobile phone, but there are 70,000 people trying to get to the front row. So myself and Ian, we went on a coach, but we were lost from one, one another within five minutes of arriving at the venue. Now, what I should have said already was, as this is basically the biggest social event to hit Yorkshire in about 150 years since the whaling thing happened, what happened if you wanted to go is you, you buy a coach ticket from Hull, very well organised, and then they'd take you on a coach through to Leeds, and then they'd wait for you, and then when you came out, get on the coach and come back. Seems perfectly fair. But the local newspaper, Hull Daily Mail, were not going to miss the scoop that Madonna was playing 50 miles away. So they had uh, a journalist waiting uh, to meet the people going onto the buses to go and see Madonna. And they were taking our names and our telephone numbers. And what they wanted to do is call us on the Sunday, get some quotes from us about how Madonna was, how beautiful, sexy she was then. In fact, it was the day before her 30th birthday, August the 27th, 1987. She would have been 30 the next day. 
So they took mine and my friend Ian's telephone number. We're all very excited about this, the notion of being in the local newspaper, um, because I'd been in the local newspaper before, but not for a reason I want to tell you now. So me and Ian, we arrive at Round Hay Park in Leeds. We lose each other within five minutes. I'm like, OK, well, there's no chance of me finding him again among 70,000 people. So I made my own way. Now, I'm, as you can see, even with the stage, I'm not the biggest guy around. But back then, I was the smallest kid in my year at school. I was a very little kid. And I figured that I could definitely get to the front row, okay? Because what you just do is you drop to your knees and you can literally squeeze between people's legs, which is what I did. The opening band, for those of you who are about my right age, might remember was a band called Hue and Cry, who had one hit with a song called Labour of Love. I waited till they finished and then I made it. I barreled it right the way to the front row. And the only time I'd seen a front row before was what they call, uh, I think it's called Harris Fencing. You know, when you see in the music videos where the girls are screaming for New Kids on the Block or um, One Direction, whichever it is, and they get cancelled carried out from there by the security guard. I made it right to that fence and I got to see Madonna for about the first 40 minutes and it was amazing. She was playing, you know, Like a Virgin, all the hits she'd already had by that point. It was truly amazing. My first concert front row with the biggest star in the world as she genuinely was at the time. And then she did one of her costume changes off stage. I know it's Madonna, you can imagine she'd do many of them on stage. She went off stage and she'd been wearing these kind of sequined, red sequined belly warmer pants for one of her costumes. And then she took them off on stage, which as a 13-year-old boy, remember, you've got to imagine is some kind of dream coming true there and then. And then she threw them into the crowd like this. And I caught them. Okay? I caught them. And that was about the happiest one-third of a second of my life. Because immediately the entire second and third row started beating the shit out of me to get the knickers out of my hands, which I must say they were very efficient at doing. So I got pummeled to hell back of my head. I got knocked to the floor. I was bloodied. And I ended up like one of those girls I later saw in a new Kids of the Block video being carried over the fence by the security guards with blood pouring over my face. They took me to the first aid area. I was fine but I couldn't get back to the front row. I missed most of the rest of the gig. However, as I opened my bloodied, bruised palm, one sequin still <laughs> pressed into my palm. So anyway, I make my way back to the coach. I catch up with my friend Ian. I tell Ian all about what I've just basically said to you. And then the next day, the whole Daily Mail call, and I tell them the story that I've just told you. So the next day, they print a story about, you know, everything that had happened, different people's experiences of Madonna's Who's That Girl Tour, but they, they featured mine as the primary one. Then Viking Radio, the local independent radio station, picked up on it, and I ended up being interviewed on the radio. I'm 13 years old, I'm at school. This is high kudos, people. Next day, we get a call from the Daily Mirror. Daily Mirror, send round a journalist to interview me. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is going national. Now, the theme here is, of course, centre of attention, and as any 13-year-old boy who has a little imprint of something to do with Madonna's crotch, I have told everybody at school about what's going on. So the Daily Mirror come round, they do an interview with me, and I tell all my friends at school, oh my God, tomorrow I'm going to be in the Daily Mirror. So I don't get to see the Daily Mirror before I arrive at school. Oh no, I get to arrive at school into my classroom. And the Daily Mirror is there and my friends are wetting themselves laughing. Because this is what the Daily Mirror did to make me the centre of attention. Was put a headline, I want your knickers, Madonna. Okay? With a picture of me looking something along the lines of this. With a flat cap buzz cut, which was not even the fashion of the day, so I don't know why I had that, and a shiny cap of tracksuit. And it told a version, a near enough tabloid-style version. However, 
This is the day I learned to realise that tabloid newspapers before the Murdoch phone hacking and all the rest are absolute goddamn scum. They just tagged a line at the end, a little paragraph at the end of the story, and it was this. Alfie's mum had said to him that she'd offered him a pair of hair panties, but he said it just wouldn't be the same. (laughs) Thank you for your time. Good night. That was Alfie. Our next story is by Dara. When the theme was also centre of attention. My cat died in 1990. My cat was my best friend. Uh, I was going through a very difficult uh, marriage at the time and I told everything to the cat. The cat already knew everything. He saw it. But um, uh, when, when my cat was hit by a car, I was very upset. And it just so happened that everyone in my life at that moment was out of town. No one was there to console me. So I took the, the cat, who was kind of not quite dead yet, to the vet. And the vet just shook his head. Like, no, he's not going to make it. And I'm sobbing and sobbing, please save him, please save him. There's nothing he could do. So I left the cat there, and he said, well, what do you want to do with the body? And I said, I I just don't know. Please, can you give me a day to think about this? I don't know. So I went home, and there was no one to talk to. So I'm trying to call my friends. They're all out of town. They're on vacation. They're on film shoots. They're just, they're not around. They're somewhere else asking people, I don't know, like, should I cremate him? That sounds weird. I don't, where am I going to bury I lived in Chicago at the time. Where do you bury a cat? I didn't have a backyard. So I didn't know what to do. And then it hit me. I just, I really liked scratching his little nose. And he liked it too. If I could just do that forever, it would be the best. So that's when I decided to have him stuffed. The technical term is freeze-dried, and I had to send him to Ohio, to a special place that freeze-dries pets and books, if they're important. So I sent him off in a a big box. Um, I went to the vet to collect him from the freezer, where they keep the pets, and um, I, I said, could can I just see him before he gets packaged up? And uh, so they took me to the back and, and opened the freezer compartment, and there were a, an assortment of dead pets in the freezer, which I was really not expecting to see. A German Shepherd and some other cats, and then my cat was sort of, because he was laying across another one, but he was frozen, so they put a, pulled him out and put him on a metal table, and he kind of like, ding, 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 ding because he was all frozen. It was really horrifying, and I just wanted to see him in in this serene state of being stuffed and happy. So I sent him off to Ohio, and uh, it takes a year to freeze-dry an animal. Uh, In the meantime, I'm I'm still seeking consolation from from any of my friends who who can help me get over the grief, and and my friend Celeste... um, (laughs) Was, was less than helpful when she said, you know, I think you're just doing this because you like to be the center of attention. <laughs> she was right, but, but it, not helpful. So a year later, 
Uh, my life had changed dramatically. Uh, I had divorced the problem relationship and had taken on a new boyfriend. Now, new boyfriend and ex-husband had yet to meet until the day the cat shows up in the mail. <laughs> I had moved to an apartment next door to my old apartment and next door to my ex-husband. And so he called and said, oh, Beasley, the cat, is here. Um, I'll bring him over. So then I hurriedly explained to brand new boyfriend who had been seen for two weeks, right, so ex-husband, you're about to meet him. He's bringing over the cat that's dead that I had stuffed. <laughs> so um, ex-husband shows up with a giant box, much bigger than the cat, the way I remembered him, and the three of us open it together <laughs> and pull out the cat who's, you know, in repose, <laughs> looking very relaxed, very happy. Uh, its eyes weren't quite the same, but, you know, it's always in the eyes. Uh, and that's how they met each other. So uh, I, I kept Beasley in his stuffed state for about a year, and then it just kind of creeped me out. I did not enjoy scratching his little nose, which he loved so much, as much as I thought I would. So um, by this time, ex-husband had become a performance artist and requested to keep Beasley uh, for his performance things he was doing. Uh, and, and I said, that, that sounds fine. And to this day, um, he lives now. Um, with the ex-husband doing performance art in a commune. Um, and by commune, I mean it's just a big house that has a, a population of three, which is not quite so much a commune as just having housemates, but, you know, just splitting hairs. Uh, and that's where Beasley is today. That was Dara's story of Centre of Attention. Our final story today is from Richard. So when I was eight years old, the world was a very magical place. So I went to school in Oxford, went to a small primary school, and we just had a big grey piece of concrete that was our playground. But every lunchtime we'd go out and one day it might be a pirate ship or the next day it might be a volcano that was erupting. So me and my friends... Alice and Adrian and Binky would just come up with all kinds of games. So we'd play Tig, or we'd play Eggy, which involves a tennis ball and a wall, or we'd play Ooey and Harry's. Now, you probably haven't heard of this because we invented it, but basically it was like gang warfare. So the Harry's could only be Harry's if you had hair below your eyebrows. So that would often annoy our mothers. And then the Ooey's could only be Ooey's if you did this. And you need to say ooey quite a lot. So it wasn't exactly the Bloods and Crips, but it was Oxford and we were eight. And it seemed very rebellious at the time. And one day we were playing one of these games and our teacher, who we love, Mr. Mail, came out and was like, Richard, Binky, Alice and Adrian, it seems like you've got all these games. Why don't you write them down in a book and then give them to all the other kids and they can play them? And we were like, this is a great idea. So we wrote them down and we came up with this character called the Playground Fairy who had a tiara and had a magic wand and had a lovely pink tutu 
and it was the Playground Fairies Guide to Games. And we gave it to Mr. Mail, and he was like, this is brilliant. Why don't you come to an assembly in front of the whole school and present on the Playground Fairies Guide to Games? And we were like, that's a great idea. Now, because we like playing games, we thought it might be good to have some fun with it. So we decided it would be great if the Playground Fairy themselves came and presented in front of the whole school. And instead of letting one of the girls in our group do it, I was like, I've got a good idea. Maybe I could wear the tutu. So we went out and found me a nice pink tutu and found me a nice magic wand and a nice tiara. And I went in front of my whole school dressed as the playground fairy. Because <laughs> I was eight and I quite like games and I didn't really think about these kind of things, I thought I'd really commit to it. So I went out and I said, hello, I'm the Playground Fairy. And I proceeded to kind of talk through the games that we'd come up with, with suggestions for how you played them. And I had loads of fun. We had kind of a big hall, maybe twice the size of this, with rows and rows of children, all of them staring at me. And it was only towards the end of my performance that I start to think maybe putting on a tutu and a tiara and having a magic wand as an eight-year-old boy, maybe that wasn't a very cool thing to do. Maybe it was quite a weird thing to do. And so I left the uh, assembly and almost immediately afterwards, some people came up to me and they were like, Oi, Playground Fairy, nice tutu. And this proceeded to turn into basically the entire school mocking me. Even the little kids, which is a, a blow to your ego, even as an eight-year-old, when a six-year-old takes a piss out of you. Um, but fortunately, I was in year four, and in Oxford, that was the kind of oldest year of primary school. So when the kids would take the piss out of me, I'd think, well, I'm going to move to the bigger school soon, so it's not going to be such a problem. So I moved on, but the voices of those kids who took the piss out of me stayed with me. So the people who called me a weirdo or took the piss out of my tutu stayed as a little voice in my head. So when I was in big school with all the big kids and I thought about doing something like going in front of assembly in a dress, that voice would helpfully tell me that's the kind of thing a weirdo does and maybe you shouldn't do it. So we carried on playing games, but maybe more like football and not like Uwe's and Harry's, because maybe that's the kind of thing a weird person would do. But slowly as I've gotten older, luckily there's been a different voice in my head, which now looks back on it and tells me that maybe going in front of my whole school in a tutu was a pretty weird thing to do, but maybe it was also a pretty awesome thing to do. And... That voice also tells me now there's maybe three gangs. So as well as the Ooeys and the Harrys, you've got the people who take the piss out of you if you've got long hair or if you put your T-shirt over your knees or if you wear a tutu in assembly. And you don't really need to worry about this gang because they'll just be standing over there taking the pissing out of everyone else while the rest of us are over here playing games and being weird and having a much better time.
Don't forget there are tickets still available for this Thursday's Spark Encore. Where we'll be telling stories of escape. At the Exmouth Market Theatre. With all proceeds to refugee aid. And the Lehrer Solidarity Network. Full details at stories.co.uk. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.